As you're finding it and, and getting ready to open God's word with me, I'd just like to start by just having a moment to pray and ask God to bless his word. So Father, we are so grateful for the work you did through these folks in Mexico, for this successful trip, and Lord, for the restoration and transformation of these rooms and other parts of the, uh, the facility of Rancho 3M. So we thank you for that, Lord. And now, Father, as we open your word, Lord, I just thank you that your word is powerful. Your word is God-breathed. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, I particularly pray for those here today that due to whatever circumstances they're, they've been dealing with, Father, they need a fresh reminder. I, I think probably we all do to one degree or another of your power through the gospel to restore, to restore our souls and to restore our lives for your glory. So, Lord, I pray you'll bless the preaching of your word, that you'll help me now and use this time for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's really almost ironic that as Mark showed the picture of that room with the new floors and the new walls and the new LED light fixtures, my introduction, Mark, it's almost like you stole it, looked at my notes, because I wanted to begin by asking a question. And it really boils down to, again, what we saw in that photograph, is how many of you find a satisfaction in, say, taking a room in your house and devoting a few hours, maybe putting a fresh coat of paint, maybe changing out light switches or a light fixture, and then once that labor is done, you step back and you're like, yeah. How many, just by a quick show of hands, how many does that give you a certain feeling of satisfaction? Great. Now, my handyman skill set, unlike Nate over here, my handyman skill set is very limited. But one thing I do find, and frankly, I'm grateful I don't do handyman work for a living, because as Mark said, I'm a retired high school math teacher, and we won't go there during the sermon. But the thing is that despite my limited handyman um, skill set, I too enjoy painting a room. Like just a few weeks ago, my wife Catherine said, could you paint our master bathroom? And she was out of town visiting one of her children, and I got in there with some light blue paint, and you know, painting a bathroom is, is kind of a a challenge because there's all this plumbing and you know I'm having to contort my body in angles that it doesn't want to go. But she got back and she walked into that bathroom and she's like, I like it. And I'm like, yes. And I did a new light fixture in there and it gave me this feeling of satisfaction. But the kind of irony is that once one room looks refreshed and restored, it kind of dominoes. So just Last week, Catherine said, Michael, do we have some paint? The pantry, I'd love to see the pantry repainted. So it could be as early as tomorrow morning. I'm going to be in the pantry putting a fresh coat of paint over this whatever. It's kind of a pale white, and I'm probably going to change the light fixture in there. But there is, again, this feeling of, you know, wow, it's cool. It's it's just exciting 
to see restoration taking place. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking into God's word at a restoration that is a million times, a zillion times, if you will, more profound than a fresh coat of paint and an LED light fixture. As we get into this passage in the book of Joel, we're going to be seeing our God's merciful, abundant, gracious heart for His glory to restore lives and to demonstrate the power of the gospel. What we're going to see in this passage is this picture of the power of the gospel on display, how the Lord takes His people, even those who have rejected Him or whose hearts have become hardened toward Him, and for His glory, He draws His people back to Himself. And not only does He draw them back to Himself, but then He pours upon them undeserved, abundant restoration blessings. So as we dig into these verses, my prayer, wherever we're at this morning, is that the Lord will give us fresh hope. Does your life feel decimated this morning? Maybe through circumstances completely beyond your control. You feel like your life has been shattered. Or maybe because you have rebelled against God. Maybe because you're not a Christian and, and you're living a sinful lifestyle, you're reaping the consequences of that. And what we're going to see in this passage, whether our hardship and whether our, if you will, desolation is due to our own sin or just due to the mysterious you know, plan of God that's beyond our ability to understand and comes with living in this fallen world, we're going to freshly see that our God can restore like none other. And as he turns our heart to him, and as we give our pain to him, and as we cry out to him, he is the one who hears our prayers and restores. So I'm going to read with you. I hope you all found the passage in Joel. If you're still flipping through, no condemnation. I know how you feel. I'm going to read now, starting at Joel chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. 
Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down for you abundant rain, the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Now, as we kind of dive into this passage in Joel chapter 2, it's, of course, important we know the context. And to summarize briefly, basically what has happened is the land of Israel has been completely decimated by swarms of locusts. I mean, I don't like bugs in general. But to think that these different, potentially even different kind of, um, I want to say breeds, but different types of locusts have just overwhelmed the land to the point that there is nothing green remaining. So the first wave of locusts, say, took off the first layer of green, and then another wave, and another wave, and another wave. And then on top of that, as the locusts finished this devastating destruction, many of them with their, shall we say, stomachs full of foliage, died. So there's this stench in the land of dead bugs, and then on top of that, it stops raining for a profound length of time. So the land is just wiped out, picked bare. Even the bark on the trees has been chewed and gnawed. And the sad thing about this is these verses communicate preceding the text for today is this is as a result of the sinful rebellion of the people of Israel. They have brought this upon themselves. But the news gets worse. Because in the aftermath of all of this, Joel tells the people that this, this locust plague, this desolation and ransacking of the land is but a foretaste of what's coming. Imagine that. You're like, man, look out your back window and there's nothing but dead bugs. And then God says to them, you know what? There's a more horrific judgment to come, the day of the Lord. And he tells them there's an invading army coming, a destruction, he says, from the Almighty, the tool of God's righteous judgment to punish the people for their sins. This, Don't worry, the message gets more upbeat, by the way, in a few minutes. But the thing is, this is bad news. You know, everything's desolate. And the Lord says, by the way, this is a, a foreshadowing. It's going to get worse. I'm sending an army. It's going to get really bad. So in the middle of all this doom and gloom and destructive chaos, the prophet Joel calls the people to repent. 
He says, look, you've got to throw yourself on the mercy of the Almighty here. And he says to turn to them with their whole hearts and cling to the truth that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's communicating to them, look, yes, it looks really bad, but you know what? You need to throw yourself upon the Lord and put your hope in the character of God. So the priests and ministers of the Lord are told to weep and pray and pray this prayer. Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. The only hope for the nation is God. And so too wasn't it for us. Dead in our sins. Our only hope was God. So this is the context we come to desolationville and this text again is before us so i've titled this message because we are now going to see there's the doom and gloom part behind us now we're going to see what our amazing god does for his people with much application for us i've titled this message our merciful lord hears and restores and i would kind of summarize this message with this Summary thought, for his glory, God draws people to himself and gives them a new restored life. For his glory, God draws people to himself and gives them a new restored life. And I'm going to encapsulate the message in two points. The first is this, the Lord is the author of restoration. No one can restore like our God. And secondly, the Lord pours out restoration blessings. So first point, the Lord is the author of restoration. Second point, the Lord pours out restoration blessings. So let's get into point one. The Lord is the author of restoration. Do you notice this passage begins with the word, four-letter word, I won't do any math jokes today, Mark, but four-letter word, though I'm tempted, then. It starts with the word then. This signifies the beginning of a new part of this book, a, a new section or new part in the book of Joel. The prophet now shifts from all the doom and gloom, the, the prophecy, if you will, of the coming day of the Lord, to now God's promises of restoration. What we're about to see here now is God's mercy in action. His pouring out of undeserved blessings to sinners who, by the way, are like us. So the scriptures say, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Do you see here God's initiation? The Lord says, it, the scriptures say he became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. See, this passage isn't about the people earning or God somehow feeling obligated to extend his mercy. No, for his glory, God had pity on his people. For his glory, the Lord became jealous for the land. The ESV study Bible in describing this says this, jealousy here is a deep devotion 
that leads the Lord to intervene, saving his people for the sake of his own glory. It's almost like God has set the stage and he's going to say, you know what? I'm going to show the world my glory by pouring out my compassion on this rebellious, sinful people. See, it's important here, like C.H. Spurgeon, the famous English preacher, said, let's put the crown on the right head. This isn't high-fiving the children of Israel. Way to go, man. You repented so great. No, this is to look at the living, compassionate, merciful God and say, wow, based on all those rebellious sinners did, you had pity on them. You extended compassion. See, in this passage, we see two beautiful attributes of God, if you will, um, aspects of God on display. First of all, he is abundant in mercy. And Jeff Perswell defines mercy this way. It's God's extending his goodness to toward those in misery and distress. Isn't it great that our God extends his goodness to those in misery and distress? And then secondly, he's full of grace. He's gracious, which means he extends his goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. This is the God we serve. He's full of mercy and grace. Now, a couple times in this message, I'm going to ask us to think. Now, as I get older... <laughs> All right, I won't say how old I'll be this year, but I'm in 60sville. Let's leave it at that. But we have more on our reel to look back on. All right? We've been around the block. I don't know who else in this room is over 60. If I look at you, don't be insulted. But the thing is that as I look back, I found even in preparing this message, it's like, Michael, remember when you have tasted of God's mercy and grace. It made me think back to before I was a Christian. I made fun of Christians. I mocked Christians. I thought they were losers. But God had pity on me. God, for his glory, said, oh, no, 18-year-old Mike Roble, I'm going to set my love upon you. I'm going to I'm going to work in your heart to repent. Even after I became a Christian, those seasons where I was foolish and I didn't walk close to the Lord, I, I, I allowed my heart to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and God would not let me go. And when I started reaping the consequences of my rebellion, the Lord's like, no, I'm going to turn your heart back to me. Undeserved mercy and grace. See, the Lord is jealous for his land. He wants it to reflect his glory here. He has pity on his people. So he sets his restoring love upon them. That's the heart of our God. I mean, I even wondered if there's some here today, if you're not a Christian, this is God's heart, full of mercy and grace. Come to him today. And if you are a Christian, and your heart has grown cold. 
God's like this. I'm full of mercy and grace. Come back to me. See, Leslie Allen, in commenting on this, he said, lest the people congratulate themselves on their sincerity and success, the prophet also twice mentions pointedly that the Lord, to whom was addressed this prayer for his intervention, was alone the great agent of salvation. The Lord has proved himself to be a faithful God who is not deaf to please for mercy. See, what a beautiful picture of the gospel this is. And I know I've already alluded to it a bit, but you know, Ephesians 2 tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't flailing on the sea of our sins. We were corpses on the bottom of the ocean of our sins. And God set his love upon us. In Ephesians, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So because of his undeserved mercy, because he set his affection and his pity, extended his pity to us, toward us, we who were once enemies were made alive in Christ. It is a miracle. And I still don't understand it. I just thank God for it. Just recently, I was talking to Catherine. I said, how is it that I'm the, and so I'm praying for my family members to be saved, my, my mom and my sister and so on. But I'm, how is it that God snatched me out of the fire? I don't know except his undeserved mercy and grace. It's amazing. We who were once God's enemies are reconciled to God through Jesus. We're now joint heirs with Christ, members of the family of God. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, we're recipients of these restoration blessings. Unbelievable. Who is like our God? Perfect in holiness, justice, righteousness, yet he sets his affection on sinners like this. It is amazing. So what we see here in Joel is the Lord has chosen to exalt his name in the land by demonstrating that, by demonstrating that despite the rebellion of his people, he is in fact gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So do you know him? Do you know him? Are you saved? Have you come to the place? Has God worked in your heart that you've repented of your sins? You've put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. And you know in the depths of your soul you're a child of God. If not, talk to us. Mark, Dan, myself, a friend after the service. <clears throat> and as I mentioned a few moments ago, if you've allowed your heart to drift from him, we've all been there. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. His arms are open wide. Come back to him today. So there's my first point. It's the Lord that initiates and pours upon us these restoration blessings. But now let's look look at how the Lord pours out restoration blessings. See, what comes next? It's just amazing already that God would draw us back to himself, that he would give us the gift of repentance. 
But like those infomercials say, but there's more, so much more. Because what we're going to see now are restoration blessings, some of which we taste of and receive to some degree in this life and others that are coming in the life to come. But here they come. And I've kind of summarized them in four categories. And I'll try to be brief. One of them you'll see I'm going to develop a little bit more. First restoration blessing, the Lord answers prayer. Secondly, the Lord removes reproach. Third, the Lord generously restores, which will be the longest one I'll dwell on. And then lastly, the Lord gives joy, gladness, and assurance. So here's restoration blessing number one. The Lord answers prayer. It says in verse 19 in this passage, the Lord answered. Now, as I get older too, it it becomes more and more mind-blowing that we, through Christ, have been given an audience with the creator of the universe. Think about this. The Lord answers. The Lord hears. This is one of these incredible restoration blessings. The creator of the universe, who is light and in whom there is no darkness, he hears our cries for mercy. He hears our cries for help. When we come to him with humble hearts, he listens and responds. Even when our troubles are, the cause of, are caused by our own sinful rebellion, we can come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I've turned from you. Lord, help me out of this mess I've put myself in. He is merciful and kind. See, as the people repented, fasted, and prayed, as they cried out, they prayed, God, spare your people. Make not your heritage a reproach. And the Lord answered. It's incredible. So, as a fresh, quick reminder, do we understand the privilege we've been given in prayer? Do we have a God-given confidence this morning that He is listening? I would encourage you, as I was provoked in my preparation, to freshly ask the Lord, Lord, Teach me to pray. Remember the disciples? They didn't say, Lord, can you show us how to heal people that are blind? Lord, can you teach us how to, how to take a withered hand and make it straight? What did they ask Jesus? Lord, teach us to pray. So I would encourage all of us to freshly do that. So there's restoration blessing one. God answers prayer. Number two, And these are all just so incredible. Number two, the Lord removes reproach. It says in verses 19, 26, and 27, I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. My people shall never again be put to shame. The reproach and shame Joel is speaking of here is the shame and reproach by seeing the Lord's people being judged for their sins. This is now to be removed. And part of this is seeing the invading army being destroyed. The nation that was once God's tool to judge his people is now to be judged by him. So Joel says, 
I will remove the northerner, this army coming far from you, drive him into a parched and desolate land. He says, you know, their vanguard will go into the eastern sea, the rear guard in the western sea, the stench and smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. In other words, God's going to obliterate your enemies. And it just makes me suddenly think the last enemy for us that will be destroyed is what? Is death. God's going to destroy all our enemies. In fact, it's, it's a complete destruction, Joel is saying here. Using locust-like imagery, he says the Lord promises to remove the enemies from the land, leaving them like, it's kind of a gross picture, but leaving them like dead locusts piled up on a seashore. Ooh, don't want to go there very long. So he's saying, you know what? I'm going to remove them. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to push them into the Dead Sea, which is the Eastern Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, which is the Western Sea. The stench of their bodies will fill the air. And through their God, the people are going to be victorious. And just as an encouragement on this second restoration blessing, isn't it a, just such a comfort to know that the Lord will righteously judge our enemies, particularly those who afflict, afflict the people of God? And I, I just, again, as I was meditating on this passage and preparing it, I don't know if there's anybody here. I'm just going to throw this out as an encouragement. I hope it resonates with at least a few of you. But I, I don't know if there's anyone here who's just been hurt deeply by someone. And you are so tempted. And I, again, have been there multiple times in my life. But a person has hurt you. And you are so tempted to want to get revenge. You're just hoping that the wrath of God will come upon them. Because the pain they inflicted upon you, whichever way that played out, but this is our hope and our encouragement, I think an application from this text. Like Paul told the Roman church, he said, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. See, through the power of the gospel, we can forgive and know that God is going to righteously judge all those that have opposed his gospel and have opposed us. His righteous judgment will come in his time. And if not in this life, in the life to come. So I don't know if that resonates with anyone, but just to encourage you, the heart of the gospel is to forgive, to leave judgment with the Lord and go from there. So third application now, the Lord generously restores. And frankly, though I love these other parts, this is my favorite one. First of all, he's going to restore through satisfying provision. He says, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. Now, the sending of this grain, wine, and oil is not only removing the people's hunger, but it's also allowing the grain and drink offerings to resume in the temple. So the Lord is, is really here promising to restore the blessings of the covenant he made with them. And in turn, the people of Israel will be satisfied, content in what the Lord has given them. So the Lord is promising his people provision with satisfaction. 
and how this must have resonated in their ears. After being on the brink of starvation due to the locust plague, the Lord is saying, I'm going to send grain, wine, and oil. There's no longer going to be any famine in the land, but there'll also be provision for grain and drink offerings again. What hope? He's saying food and provision are coming. Then he also promises to restore the land itself, which of course is linked to this. He says, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. So he's saying here, the land is going to come back alive. In fact, it's going to be Eden-like. It's going to be so green. The stripped, decimated trees will bear fruit again. The gnawed, useless vines will be restored and yield abundant clusters of grapes. Because of his merciful love, he'll restore the land. But now, to me at least, personally, the most profound restoration blessing. And this comes through verse 25. He says, The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. He said, I will restore to you the years. So he's not talking grain now. He's not talking greenery in the land. He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, <clears throat> and the cutter. My great army, which I sent among you. Now, what is he saying here? It's easy to understand. Hey, I'm going to make the vines bear fruit again. I'm going to make the land recover from the desolation of locusts. But now he says, I'm going to restore the years that the locust ate. Now, is he telling the people of Israel it's like a back to the future moment? We're going to rewind. Now, it's debatable when the book of Joel was written, but is he saying we're going to rewind to 850 BC before the locust arrived and and you're going to get out of that DeLorean or whatever, and you're now going to relive those years. What is he saying? Well, of course he's not saying that, though God could have done that, I suppose. No, what he's talking about, as I understand it, is a super abundant harvest, a newness, a restoration, if you will, that is so plentiful that it restores or compensates for all the lost harvests and devastation. And I just want to unpack this a little bit more from an application standpoint for us as well. God is saying, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I mentioned earlier, and again, as I'm in 60sville now, some of the memories are a little foggy, right? But as we look back, do you see, as you think back maybe for a few moments over the years of your life, and as I think back on my life, do you have seasons or years that you think were wasted, that are just gone, that have no redemptive value at all? 
Maybe it was the last two years, COVID and all that came with it. Maybe it was years where you were just so consumed with sickness or illness or despair that you just feel like those years were a waste. Maybe it was the years as a Christian when, as I mentioned earlier, you allowed your heart to be hardened and you just didn't follow the Lord. You just were bitter and walked away from so, so maybe there were years where you were just cynical, bitter, just critical of people all the time, consumed with this, and you kept God and people at a distance, or you tried to. Maybe there were years where you were the recipient of someone else's evil and hatred or manipulation, being victimized or oppressed. Maybe it was years where you were given to alcohol or drugs, and, and you just cannot get those years back. Or maybe it was all those years before you came to know the Lord. My first 18. It's easy to look back and say, those years were all a waste, and I can never get them back again. But see, we all need to hear this promise in Joel for us today. God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. See, our God, full of grace and truth, can do the impossible. By His grace, as we turn to Him with our whole hearts, as we give to Him, even those years that we feel are wasted and squandered, He can restore us and give us such a rich, purposeful, overflowing harvest of good fruit in our lives that it will more than compensate for the years we feel are wasted. See, what this means is this. And, and when I taught high school math, quick math illustration, I used to love to repeat something to my students. Now, I'm going to, I'm tempted to go to, like, to the distributive property, and there might be one person that's like, yes, A times B plus C is AB plus BC. But you know what? We're not going to go there. But this statement, okay, some of you, some of you how many did want a math story? <laughs> Great. Praise God. We'll talk later. No, but here we go. All right? It, you know, my wife wasn't able to make it with me today, but Catherine, I, I can already see her face. Like, did you really mention math during that sermon? Sorry, dear, I'm, I'm trying to repent. All right, but here's the thing. And I'm preaching this to myself, and hopefully it resonates with you. I'm going to repeat this statement at least twice, maybe three times, because it's biblically based, and it's true, and it aligns with this text. There is, here it is, there is no suffering in your past, in your present, or in your future that will be wasted in his redemptive plan for us. Did you hear that? I could do that old, any of you know what a cassette tape player is? I do the old cassette tape rewind. Anyway, we rewind the tape. Let's say it again. There is no suffering, no suffering. Even when we were rebelling against God, God can take all of that. There is no suffering in our past, our present, or our future 
that will be wasted in his redemptive plan for us. He is the sovereign king of the universe. He knows what we've been through. And when we turn to him by his grace and mercy and we give our lives to him, he, it's a mystery. It's beyond our ability even to understand. But he takes all of this and he says, I will restore to you the years that the locust ate. There is no wasted suffering. None. Zero. I want to use another number, but I won't. There's none. Listen to this quote by Spurgeon, and I'm going to nail, hammer on this nail for just a couple more minutes. Love this quote by the famous English preacher Spurgeon. He said, God can give you such a true repentance, such a burning love, such an enthusiastic consecration that during the rest of your days, you shall make up for all those wasted years. The praise shall be taken from the mighty. Years seized by evil will be dragged back from the devil's den. This is so great. And all the memory and outcome of them transformed by the action of grace and gratitude shall be laid as treasure at your Redeemer's feet. Now hear this. The Lord can restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Your ills may become wells of comfort to others. The Lord can bring so much good out of the evil, so much light out of the darkness, so much joy out of the sorrow that you shall one day say, I thank God I was shut up in Doubting Castle. I thank God I did not sink in the deep mire where there was no standing, for he has restored to me the years that the locust has eaten. See, revisiting this quote, one of the lines that so resonated with me, your ills may become wells of comfort to others. It makes me think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul, in, in, in talking about his suffering and other things, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Notice, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How, I'd love to do a show of hands again, but I'm not going to put you on the spot. But how many of you have gone through stuff that has been horrific and devastating and, and just made you feel like shattered glass on a floor, but... Our faithful, loving God has seen you through. And in the providence of God, someone is sitting in front of you going through a very similar circumstance. And now because you've experienced that he can take your ills and, and he's postured you to make them a well of comfort for others, you can look that person in the eye and say, you know what, I know what you're going through is horrible, but you know what, I've been there. And my God restored my soul. Yeah, we still have scars and emotional limps. But see, God takes 
all our suffering. And he can restore the years and give us such a, an abundant blessing of provision and vision and understanding for our suffering that now we can be tools in his hands to bring comfort and life and hope to others. It is amazing. And I'm sure if we had time, and I know Mark would like me to be done before one o'clock, but the thing is, we could go around the room, and I, I'm sure many of you could testify that there was a time when I felt like the locusts had me for breakfast, and there was nothing left. And my God brought me to himself, and he restored me. Catherine and I, quick side story, I hope I still have time. Yeah, good. Okay, at least two more minutes. But, but here's the thing. Last night, Catherine and I had dinner with this precious friend of ours. She started, not to reveal too much info, but I told her I'd be using her as an illustration today. She came to our church about three, four years ago from West Virginia. So she has an accent. And she calls me bro. So whenever she comes to our house, she's like, hey, bro. And I call her sis. And I'm like, so last night she walked in and it's like, hey, bro. And I said, hey, sis, what's up? And, and we just have, she's become a really good friend of Catherine and I. She refreshes us. But when she came to our church three to four years ago, her life had been destroyed. She had literally had to flee West Virginia due to a horrific, abusive relationship. I'll just leave it at that. For her safety, she had to leave the state. And over the course of three or four years, this woman, I'm going to get emotional. It's all good. She is a trophy of what I'm preaching about today. She is. I still remember the first Sunday she was at church. I'm glad she came back because I was the first person who talked to her. But I walked over and I just greeted her. It's like, ha. Huh? And she had been pulverized in her life by the evil of others. And today, by the undeserved mercy and grace of God, she is the most joyous person I know. And her heart for God and for his church and for the pastors of the church, and she is a, a, a force you know, in our, our small group and all these things, but she has experienced this as God extends and wants to do for all of us, she has experienced him restoring the years that the locust has ate. Even last night, she said, I don't even think about those years and years back in West Virginia now. She goes, I got my sights forward. Now, the heartbreak last night, in a good way, is God has so restored her that now God is blessing her to move to Florida to be close to her, her family. And we're like, no. I was tempted to use pastoral manipulation. No, Terry, let me come up. Oops, I just said her name, but anyway, she knows. But it's like just wanting to say, you know, please don't move, but we're releasing her. Gospel preaching church nearby, all this kind of stuff. But the testimony of this reality was just, just powerful. So anyway, he restores the years the swarming locust has eaten. Finally, the Lord gives joy gladness and assurance. This book talks about how you're going to eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God who's dealt wondrously with you and so on. See, 
The Lord promises to meet our every need. And this restoration results in praise and worship and joy in their God. Their God's presence is now among them. So, as I close, and thank you for being such an attentive audience, and again, for the two of you that weren't annoyed by the math illustrations, thank you, okay? But as we head home today, may we all, as I make the trek back to Westminster, may we all be overflowing in gratitude and reminded of what the Lord has done for us. Like those of Israel, we who were rebellious and his enemies have been saved and restored to now live for his glory. So let's be thankful that the Lord was jealous over us. Let's be thankful he had pity on us. Let's be thankful ultimately that he sent his only son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins to, and then he rose from the dead and now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So are we in awe of the Lord's goodness to us this morning? Are we full of thankfulness, joy, and gratitude for all he's done? I hope so. So if the worship band wants to come up, I'm assuming we're going to have a closing song. So as I close too, I just want to remind us all that ultimately our full experience of God's restoration blessings, we haven't seen yet. We've just had a taste because ultimately these are all going to be fulfilled on that glorious day when we see him face to face. So thank God in this life we get glimpses, we get tastes, we get visible reminders of the Lord's restoration blessings. But quoting the Apostle Paul, to be with Christ is far better. So the best is yet to come. So let's set our hearts and affections on things above and let's rejoice, going back to my initial little summary statement, let's rejoice in this reality. For His glory, God drew me to himself and gave me a new restored life. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Let's stand.